All right. Okay. Are you recording? I'm recording do, now. Do you want to start by making fun of me again? Yeah, so I started by asking if there's anything you had to read or listen to or watch last minute before we started recording. Right, and I was just going to make reference to the fact that on this show, you repeatedly are the one who <laughs> falls asleep during <laughs> things, uh-huh. skips parts of a book because they're not necessary. I determined that it wasn't necessary. Hamburger. Exactly. Yeah. And guess what? I got the same... Or did you as much, or did I just give up out of the book as not, you did? Yeah, because it's not worth digging into yep. what you missed. <sighs> Frownland is that what you want to start with? I guess. Yeah. So I was listening to the best show this past week, and he had Ronald Bronstein on, which first of all sounds like. The name of a Worcester character in one of their skits, right? Ronald Bronstein. Yeah. Bronstein, how do you say his name? But he is the... Uh, so he made one movie, this movie Frownland, and apparently based on that, right, the Safties saw that, and then they were like, we need to find this guy. Because he was in their first He film was in their thing. first movie as an actor, and then he's like co-written everything with them since. Right. But he was on the best show and they were talking about his movie Frownland, which has just been released by Criterion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was a great you listened to the interview, right? Yeah. It was a great interview. Yeah. And their sort of back and forth and Tom's enthusiasm about the movie made me feel like this is something I need to seek out and watch as soon as I can, right? And he was talking about this is, he's like, I I watched it today for the fifth time. And the thing that really got me is he was like, it's funny without, every time I watch it, I find something new funny about it. And he's like, I, I watched it this time and stuff that I didn't find funny last time I'm finding funny now or stuff that I found sad last time I'm finding funny now. And he really built up this movie. And somewhere in there, between all this praise, they kind of sneak in this descriptor of... Don't want to spend any time with the main character. (laughs) Well... There's not just little hints that this is going to be a difficult film. Right. It's pretty much addressed up front. And you made it sound like you were not expecting it to be a difficult film no well uh, first again i didn't know anything about this guy until he was on the best show someone had mentioned his name in passing a few weeks ago and it i I was intrigued by it i didn't bother to look it up and then when he came on the show i was like oh the guy who co-wrote good times and uh uh uncut gems and whatever else. Heaven Can Wait. Is that what it's Heaven called? Can, but I think he came <clears> in <throat> after that. Maybe. Yeah, I think as a screenwriter with the Safties, I think he did Good Time and right. Uncut Gem. So th- so within all of that, and I think it was Bronstein who described the movie as this, which is 1,000% an apt description and needs to be taken exactly as it said, extremely <laughs> literally. He said... 
I wanted to make a Woody Allen movie, except how it would really be to be around someone who is like Woody Allen. Right? Yes. Which means a Woody Allen movie, I'm assuming, I haven't seen any Woody Allen movies outside of the one with uh, Owen Wilson. Heaven well, knows what. Yeah. Is the Safdies. <clears throat> um, so basically, a Woody Allen movie with no charm. Mm-hmm. Right? And so what you get is a a guy a, com- a guy who's completely miserable who makes everyone around him miserable and not in a charming, lovable like lovable loser sort of way in a way that's like this is makes me feel really gross and weird and like I hope nobody actually lives their life like this. It's this is depressing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And also knowing there are plenty of people who live their lives like this. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So I so yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be difficult. I, I mean, and maybe that is naive because all of the Safdie brothers movies are difficult to to a certain extent. You know, like Uncut Gems is a great movie and it's fun to watch. It's also very stressful and it's very like it's like a high wire act the entire time mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah the the film made me think of a few things and one thing is the authenticity of the character and of the film itself and specifically in that interview i don't know they said it this clearly but i got the sense that he was kind of you know taking the piss out of people like Woody Allen that want to portray a nebbishy neurotic as a hero. Right. It's like, no, you're you're not, you can't glorify that type of a character. Yeah. And so on the one hand, yeah, it, it definitely made me think about, you know, Woody Allen or the people who act neurotic for an effect. Mm hmm like a film effect. And it also made me think a little bit about people like John Wilson and uh, Nathan Fielder, Mm -hmm. where, you know, on the one hand, John Wilson hasn't let it slip to the point where I've felt like, oh, he's a completely different person. Or Joe Pera. um, Right. But, But even those people are people who are sort of on the definitely on the extreme of like a personality from a personality standpoint, but they're still able to like integrate themselves into society. Right. Whereas this is somebody who is, cannot work their way in. Right. It feels like exactly. It feels like definitely a character who cannot work their way in. But then I always think about iterations of that character. Mm -hmm. If you take Frownland as a, more representative example of a neurotic person, then you have the shades of variation from that in people like, again, I'll put Woody Allen on the far side, but then Nathan Fielder and John Wilson fall somewhere in between those two. Right. As whether that's an, an affectation or how much of their characters are affectations and how much of their characters are, we're we're trying to reflect more reality in the films that we're doing. Um, you know, that's an interesting 
conversation, one that's being had around both of their shows, I think. Right. The rehearsal and yeah. How To with John Wilson. Um, the other thing is it made me think about authenticity of that character. And it's interesting because I identify with the main character of Frownland. Mm. I think one of his big Achilles heels, heel, heel, heels are that he is a people pleaser. He's always apologizing. If he needs to talk to you about something, he's going to apologize first. Mm -hmm. If he needs to ask for something, he's going to apologize first, and he'll apologize after. And he's always qualifying what he wants to say. He can't ever just say what he wants to say. Mm -hmm. And I definitely identify with that um, because I share some of those same tendencies where I'm like, just say what you want to say. Don't explain it and then don't apologize. Just like, I want to ask you something or I just need to say something. I don't need to build it up. And so I identified a lot with that aspect of his character. But then it also put me at a remove of there are various people that I've encountered with my life that in my life that share different identifiers with the main character, just like I could identify that, but then I don't associate any other part of my life with that. Mm -hmm. There are other people who you're like, Hey, this is at least an authentic person who is operating in their like weaknesses in a more authentic way than somebody who's trying to pretend that they don't have any, you know what I mean? Mm. Although he's crippled, like you, you said it, right? He's a character who's crippled. Right. And that question of authenticity too spoke to like, I can identify with this movie and aspects of it, but I didn't enjoy it. Right. And I feel like there's a type of person that I wish I could be. And number one, it is somebody who would probably watch Frownland and genuinely be like five stars. I I get it. I know what they're doing. And I deeply resonated with it, right? Mm-hmm. Or somebody who like in Frownland, you have these other people who are probably like really into film and cinema and whatever. And like you look at their collection and it's like that friend's house that he goes over to. It's like they have, they're, they, they'll put on like a VHS copy of like the bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. It's like, who does that? Right. Why would you watch that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> at the same time, I wish I was somebody who would just be like, Hey Keith, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm just watching bride of Frankenstein mm-hmm. on, on VHS. Mm-hmm. What else would I be doing? There's like an authenticity to that type of sure. like interest or engagement of it that I've always felt a remove from. And it makes me feel like a phony a little bit. Like I watch Frownland because I love cinema, but then I get to the end of Frownland. I'm like, yeah, I understand that that is a authentic piece of film. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to watch it again. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a rough, it was a rough watch. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars. Yeah, I mean, it's greatly reviewed. Yeah. And again, it's it's one of those things, you know, everybody is talking about, like, I saw an article the other day about, like, the, the divide between audience reaction and and 
critic and it's really come to a head mainly with like star wars films and Mm -hmm. marvel films right where like some of these audience representatives youtube film critics mostly Mm -hmm. like to make a meal out of every marvel film that comes out pointing out all the critics who are like it's bad Mm -hmm. it's it's like they they still cry about Scorsese saying right that Marvel right. films are basically theme park rides. right yeah um and that divide to me it's not interesting to have a little late I couldn't find yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not interesting to have that conversation in the perspective of Marvel movies I could give a shit mm-hmm. Marvel movies are theme park rides. I, right. I think anybody who's honest, even making the Marvel films, would say, yeah, we want to provide a ride for people. Yeah. An experience. It's just escapism. Yeah. There's, and quick tangent, there's also an interesting note of like anybody on a Marvel panel who's going to sit there and be like, what we really wanted to do with this film was ask the question of, of really hone in on authenticity. Mm-hmm. Sure, he has a metal suit that can shoot him into outer space but who is he inside the suit right and then you see like frown land where it's like what we're about is authenticity this person is neurotic and they're crippled by it and they would be a miserable person to be around yeah and here's what it would look like right roll the film you know like those are two different conversations to have you can't talk about authenticity in the same way in the context of a Marvel movie as you can in the context of Frownland. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's not interesting to have a conversation, the difference between audience and critic in the context of Marvel movies, but it is interesting to have it in the con uh, have that conversation in the context of films like Frownland, where I am really interested on what Roger Ebert, I read some reviews on what people were saying about Frownland mm-hmm. because again, I can recognize it, I can't say that I enjoyed Frownland. Yeah. Yeah. And it was effective in the sense that it really, I called you after I finished watching it. Yeah. Kind of in a spiral. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a tough movie. And I, along those lines, I, I think I would rather watch Frownland than ever watch a, a Marvel movie. Or I, I might have an, an easier time watching Frownland than a Marvel movie. But I mean, I was engaged watching it and I was constantly trying to figure out like what, what was going on and kind of what is the, the point of it. Um, and so I guess I'm not, I don't feel like watching it was a waste of time, but I, yeah, I would certainly never watch it again. Right. And I didn't particularly enjoy watching it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it makes me think about a few weeks ago, I mentioned Amsterdam stories mm-hmm. and how I started reading the, those short stories and they immediately bummed me out. Yeah. Because it's about how society will just kill you mm-hmm. one way or another. It's going to kill you. Then you watch this and you realize, yeah, if you are neurotic and living on the fringes, there's no safety net for you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you can only take so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
as a critic, that to me is also interesting. Like I can't imagine where the 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 scale of films are like Marvel and then just like Frownland mm-hmm. or like I'll throw like all the kind of it started with Italian neorealism and then modern day, I don't know what the term is now, mm-hmm. like modern day neorealism, where you just want to be like Here's a day in the life of a poor person. Right. Watch it. Yeah. Okay. I can't, I can't, how much of that can you take? Right. Well, like, and that, and I was going to say too, is, is this movie is from 2007. Mm-hmm. And so you put that movie into context now and you're watching the movie, uh, you're watching a movie about a homeless person. Essentially, you know what I mean? Because it's like in 2007, right? Some misanthrope can make a living off of, oh, like ripping people off, mm-hmm. going door to door for a multiple five, sclerosis five charity. Yeah. And a roommate who doesn't pay bills maybe is making money somehow, right? But well, now, has a rich family, it seems like. Yeah. yeah. Now, like, those that that guy the the guy in the movie at least what was his name I don't remember what his name was Keith that's right Keith <laughs> um, I, I thought you were joking that's why when you asked me I was like oh is this the punchline I'll just Keith wait for uh, the pun- no you, he you would forgot. be like a homeless person at this point you know what I mean oh a hundred percent I mean it's it, it also it speaks to the humor of the film in how it ends where he would because your your thought is he'd be homeless mm-hmm. or dead. Right. And it ends with him going to this rooftop where you're like, I could see this movie ending with him just walking to the edge yeah. and tumbling off. But what does he do? He walks towards the edge in the corner right. and starts urinating. Right. <laughs> just takes a piss. Just takes a piss. <laughs> and so you're like, oh, no, that's like he's homeless pissing in yeah. a corner somewhere. Right. He's not dead. Um but yeah, well, yeah. he almost—I feel like you wouldn't have like the agency to kill himself. You know what I mean? Like he wouldn't. I almost feel like as a character, he doesn't even have that awareness. I feel like. Yeah, but it just makes. I agree, except when you were in the midst of his breakdown at the end. Yeah, I was like, I can't imagine living like that. like if this is how any part of my life truly felt. I can't imagine continuing life like that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you mentioned that I I don't know what the humor was in the movie. Again, um on the best show, Tom was talking about how funny it was. And so as soon as the movie started, I found myself like ready for the laughs. Oh, see, no, 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 no. And I, I so then I found myself like kind of forcing a couple chuckles at the beginning when he's watching the movie in bed eating Popcorn. popcorn and choking on it right <laughs> yeah that's and funny. from that point forward it was like oh there's no more jokes in this movie this no there's no like i don't know where the humor is after that when you told me that you weren't ready for this to be as much of a downer as it was that surprised me because mm-hmm. when you mentioned safties and like tom sharpling saying this is funny without laughs 
I guess I don't remember and him saying that. What I remember him saying is, I keep finding different things that are funny. No. So, <laughs> so in the beginning, though, the humor is that he's eating popcorn and choking on it. Right. He's just yeah. silently alone. Yeah. You know, he's feeling like he's living his best life, and he's watching like an old movie and just like <laughs> quietly right. coughing. He's as he basically living in a walk-in closet. More, yeah, yeah. More popcorn. Then. After that, he's with his girlfriend who is having like a breakdown yeah. in order to try and make himself seem better. He like holds his eyes open for like 60 seconds right. so that they tear up. Right. That's funny. Yeah. And then from there, the movie goes into his deep like neurosis, his inability to talk to people. And then it picks up again with the roommate who goes to take the LSAT, which also goes to take a test and doesn't know what the what test he's taking. Yeah. And the LSAT is like to be a, a, an attorney. <laughs> and, you know, you're like, and I know that there are some people who live like that. They just kind of yeah. like, whatever, man, I don't know. And I, I am scrapping and scraping, barely getting by. And there are some people who are like, I guess I'm 35. I'll take the LSAT now. Right. And, and like, they'll be fine. And I'm, I might not be okay. We'll see how tomorrow goes. Yeah. You know? um, and so he goes to take the LSAT and he bumps into the other guy. And the other guy. The other him, guy was funny. Oh, they, they yeah. get into that that right. argument. And then he just steals his Walkman. <laughs> just runs <laughs> away. Runs away after <laughs> calling him out right. on his yeah. epistemological. He stole it, I guess because he was just annoyed with the guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like you think like everybody's doing a grift here. Is this guy's grift? Like see who goes to take the LSAT, pretend to take the LSAT, <laughs> take and then stuff. take whatever yeah. stuff they have. Like, you know what I mean? It just, that's funny. You know mm. what I mean? And then the ending is just harrowing. Was his girlfriend underage? Is there not a scene where she's like at a school? No. Yes, there's a scene where she's like sitting in front of a school but she's like that's what I'm saying. okay she's so yeah. is she not in the school she's sketching and yeah, then she, she like she cuts herself up. or whatever and from what i read just one little blurb i think they referenced that she is ronald Bron his wife. wife yeah <clears throat> but she's very predominantly or she's you don't know where she's sitting necessarily but all in the background is like school bells and school kids and da 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 so I was confused about her age. Mm. I don't know why she'd be hanging outside of a school. I, I got the feeling that she'll just go anywhere. Um, something else I found interesting, and this is totally meaningless. Nobody in this movie has done anything else with movies. <laughs> the <laughs> actors have not been in anything it's just Ronald Bronstein. And apparently, well, apparently his wife is also a writer. Okay. From what they said on the interview. Mm -hmm. But I was trying to look up every single actor that came on the screen. And they have done, not only have they done nothing, there's like no information about them. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like that, that's kind of what I'm hitting, hinting at too, where there's a, all those people, or like I even compare it to, um, oh, what's his name? I'm going to look it up real quick. Uh, he's a director and he made, 
her smell. Hamburg. Alex Ross Perry. Uh huh. I've n- never heard of it. And like, independent filmmaker makes some challenging, difficult movies too. And again, there's just this like approach to film and cinema. And again, all the people in Frownland show it. I just feel like, again, I love film, but I can't get to that level. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how someone does. I don't know if it is just like you are kind of naturally neurotic and then your your interest in film is more obsessive, Mm -hmm. whereas mine is maybe a little more like for outsider looking in, like I'm not obsessive about my film knowledge. I love watching film and I love following directors and stuff, but I couldn't tell you like, you're like, Keith, list your top 10 movies and give me one line from each of them. I'd be like, I'm screwed. I couldn't quote you, Mm -hmm. you know? And then there are other people like, I feel like these people who are, they're like, what's, what full script do you want me to, Right. <laughs> to repeat to you right now verbatim yeah. because I've yeah. got 10 movie scripts all in my living in my brain. Yeah. And there's a part of me that wishes, I wish I could tap into that. I wish I could also, you know, get to that level. And I don't know how, I don't know that it is accessible. Like, I think it is born out of like an obsession that film can draw primarily from. And those people probably don't, have other interests mm-hmm. probably not playing death's door and reading you know random books mm-hmm. so uh, i i don't know but yeah this this movie definitely made me feel like a phony a, cin- a cinema loving phony yeah yeah i think it's you know just a very specific movie for very specific people and yeah. i'm not one of those people Okay, but we can both identify that it is like an authentic. Yeah, yeah, and again, I'd rather I'll watch this 10 times out of 10 over something like a Marvel movie or like The Gray Man or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So, Frownland. It's on Criterion now. There you go. Um, Anything else in particular? Yeah. Um, I wanted to do a little quick rant. I don't think we're ready to have a full conversation on immortality. Yeah. I wanted to do a quick little rant. Okay. Did you have something you wanted to talk about? Too? I've got a couple little things we can talk about. Awesome. So I'll be quick All because right. ultimately I have not finished the game. I will want to talk about it. Oh, this when- is a rant on immortality. No, this is a rant about, on- about it, about the game. Okay. Okay. Sure. So really quick, I'm gonna get try and run through this and be uh try try not be annoying. Okay. Which is impossible. Um so Immortality is a game by Sam Barlow, and he did two other games. He did Her Story mm-hmm. and Telling Lies. Right. I played both of them. Her uh-huh. story I thought was great. Telling Lies I thought was a miss. Okay. And I think I actually got you in on some of that. I was so excited. Julia and I played her story together. Oh, what do you think of her story? It was good. Yeah. It was fun. Um, I don't think I played Telling Lies. Well, I got you to download Telling Lies. Okay. Because I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> for something. 
and you, I think you humored me and then you started and then I went and finished it, but uh, not, not so great. Then mm-hmm. immortality comes along. So immortality is like an FMV game. Yeah. She's, she's ready. I can, I okay. can rant while you let your dog in. Um, so it's an FMV game and I am like games like this hook me just the, the, the concept I'm going to be interested. And it got me thinking, number one, why am I interested in games like this? Mm-hmm. And number two, what is it about my initial impressions of immortality uh-huh. and, and really kind of thinking through them? So just to clarify, when you say games like this, yes. you mean like FMV games, FMV or like, Games that promise a deeper mystery or story, right? Because beyond the mechanics, without this, I maybe we'll save this for the in-depth conversation. Without watching the trailer for this game, there's no way to f- figure out what the game is about. Mm-hmm. The starting the oh, game gives you game. nothing. No, it it's gives impossible. you pure mechanics of how you play it, and that is it. Yeah. You start at a screen with a bunch of clips and it says, this is how you pick, pick a clip. Nothing. You don't know anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just go, go from there. Watch this clip. Uh, click on that glass of water. All right. Now watch that clip. Yeah. Uh, click on this person's head. Now watch that clip. And he, here's what I came up with. Number one, games like this interest me because of my, you know, curiosity. So, you know, I remember being a kid reading Dracula for the first time. Mm-hmm. I remember picking up Dracula and I was a little scared as a kid. And I remember wanting to read it, but not and going to Barnes and Bram Noble. Bram Stoker's. Isn't Brom. that book like 700 Stoker. pages long or something? Uh, yeah. I mean, so. <laughs> That's too long or me. I, I love that you, everything about you now is, is <laughs> I mean, listen, even as a kid, if I saw a book that big, I was not going to even think about reading it. So I, I remember going to Barnes & Noble a few times, circling it, looking at it, being scared, and then finally being like, I'm going to read this Mm -hmm. thing, picking up, started reading. And I realized it's all written like the, the character's journals. And I remember my little mind like being blown because up until then, all the books I read were just narratives. Yeah. And this was the first book that kind of made me feel like, oh my God, Bram Stoker could have found this. And he could have just found a bunch of journals and been like, no one will believe this. Yeah. So I'm just going to make money and I'm going to publish them. And it sparked that imagination. I was a kid with just crazy overactive imagination and also somebody growing up who was like, I hope that we don't know everything about the world. Mm-hmm. What a boring existence if you can be like, hey, listen, here are the basic principles of physics. That is happening literally for eternity. Mm-hmm. Nothing is breaking those laws. There's nothing that exists that's outside of these you know, laws. Mm-hmm. I, I just, as a kid, just wanted to believe. So it's like X-Files and all of that stuff. Sure. really appealed to me. Mm. So when I read Dracula, it really offered this window into 
here's an old book written from a time that you already don't fully relate to with a narrative that's that promises a like deeper lore yeah and all that unknown was like a perfect playground for my imagination i became obsessed with dracula can i just say does brom stoker not sound like the name of a dracula exactly right exactly that's what i'm saying and like if you met a dracula they would be like well i guess dracula is the name count Count Dracula is the Dracula's name. I guess it's a vampire, right? Not a Dracula. Yeah, he's not. For some reason, I would imagine a Dracula being like, my my name's Brom. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) The the, the name was like, it just invited your imagination to get lost in. The whole thing sounds foreign. Exactly. Yeah. And and that was the thing that also got me like excited and scared because it's like he has a scary name. This could be a vampire who wrote this. (laughs) You know, I don't like a weird confessional. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I'm the only one who knows. Everyone else thinks like everyone bought the lie that, oh, this guy just wrote it. And meanwhile, he's like, I can't believe they bought it. (laughs) (laughs) These are the actors. No, this was supposed to be a confession. (laughs) And so I, that blew my mind. And then from there, Blair Witch Project, Mm -hmm. the next thing where I didn't just get into the film, I got into the whole marketing for the film the yeah, fake for sure. police reports i bought the, the soundtrack tape, yeah which was the the quote-unquote tape they found in the mm. car i love that shit yeah. i eat that up and then to have these games that promise this you know kind of deeper experience mm-hmm. is something that i'm i think i will always be interested in. Mm-hmm. So there are other FMV games I've played that I have not talked to you about. Really? They are awful. Yeah. And I'm embarrassed that I played them. <laughs> but like new games? There's one game that they actually talked about on the besties. Yeah, because Justin McElroy loves them, right? Yes. And the game that he mentioned, I played. Okay. He's like, this is the best one, but not because it's good. Right, because it's so bad. Because it's so yeah, bad yeah. and funny and and you know, there's always a piece of me. Inscription is another game that kind of did that this yeah. year that I played and, and really like. But the other thing that's interesting is with Immortality, when I was first starting off, there was this disconnect that I was having. Whereas Dracula and Blair Witch all immediately sparked my imagination, hooked me. Yeah. I found immortality. Not that it didn't hook me, but there was this remove. And it definitely made me feel like, yeah, I I wish this was something that... So, number one, the whole team that created this, they I know they did it. I know that they know they did it. Mm-hmm. I know that they, when they finished this product, were like, holy shit, we like... Our vision is this. Mm-hmm. Because the sets look amazing the camera work and the acting balance this role of you can see them start acting and then when they turn off acting but they've never turned off acting because they're acting Mm -hmm. and all those things it's it really is in terms of a product like a a fully realized product but there's a piece of me too that is like i would love for somebody who 
executes a product like that and then believes in it so much that they just dump it for free <laughs> on like the internet uh-huh. so that someone like me can like find it. Yeah. Because if I, you mean dump it as in like not even dump it, just it gets found one day. Yeah. And like, Oh look, this thing I stumbled across. Exactly. Yeah. Where they did it with no idea of profit. Mm-hmm. They purely did it for the imagination of it. They purely did it because having it be free on game pass where I literally was just like, Oh, that's out download, mm-hmm. fire it up. Oh, I'm playing this game. And now all these weird things are happening. It just right. That kind of like invitation of like suspension of my own disbelief in the narrative. Mm-hmm. I had to overcome like another hurdle. You know what I mean? And it just like, it just made me think this is not a critique on immortality at all or on game pass. I couldn't be happier that I, I would have paid for it, but mm-hmm. I, I so happy that it, it was just there, but there is that piece of me that I realized that deep inside of me. And this, this sadly might also speak to that. I'm like a theater kid. I have a little theater kid DNA in me. Mm-hmm. That I'm not proud of. <laughs> You've seen some of my productions Yeah. Uh-huh. in college. I did what I had to do to make money, John. <laughs> right. Okay, don't hold it against me. Uh huh. But there is that like piece of me where I'm like, man, I would love to stumble upon something like this if I ever get ex- extremely wealthy. Mm-hmm. I'm committing here on this podcast. I will make something like this. Okay. I will. Bury it in the internet <laughs> and just hope someone. And I will, it. I will walk away from it and just hope that somebody's like, "I think this is real." Right. I just want somebody yeah. for one second yeah. to to play something that I created or watch something and be like, <clears throat> "I think that I, I think this is actually like proof of a reality that we don't understand." Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. That stuff is definitely, I feel like, the most uh, imagination grabbing or whatever. I I had the same feeling towards Blair Witch. I don't know if you remember this. In college, there was, I don't even remember how we got it, but there was some sort of pamphlet or short story we kind of had the internet in college right Mm -hmm. so maybe it was on there and it was um about like these small english villages like rural air areas in um britain i guess and they were seeing ufos basically Mm -hmm. like unidentified objects and it, it it starts to turn into like loosely into like a transformers thing mm-hmm. and there's no i don't remember there being any real resolve to it it was just sort of like a an interesting sort of like you know secondhand account of people seeing ufos or whatever mm-hmm. and it was really well written and i remember liking a lot and being really intrigued by it and then you go and look it up and it was like some 
like Volkswagen ad or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that type of stuff definitely pulls me in. I think the biggest problem with immortality is that none of the tertiary stuff that you need to pull you into this exists. Just the game exists. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no, even the trailer is like, it's a trailer. There's no like, go to this website to learn about whatever, or here's a random press release or whatever. It just is. Yeah. You download the game here's for free because it's game. on game pass. Right. And then it literally starts it's literally starts you on a grid of film clips and it says this is how you control the clips and that's the beginning of the game yeah there's no introduction to the story whatsoever yeah. you just start the game and julia and i played it last night for a couple hours and every two minutes it was like why are we julia was saying why are you doing this what are we supposed to be doing and I had no answer for her. I had no idea what I was doing or why I was doing it. It just got to a point where, you know, a couple minutes in, you sort of start to hone in on the mechanics. And I was like, oh, okay. So anytime something, like, flashes on the screen briefly, I'm going to pause and try and click on that thing that's sort of swiping across the screen. You know what I mean? And it's like... Every single time a gun comes up, I'm going to freeze and click on that gun. Mm -hmm. Every single time this thing comes up, I'm going to freeze and click on that thing. And then it becomes, oh, now they're having sex. And then it's, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, now other people are having sex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of sex yeah, oh, in the game. Oh, there's a ton. I do, yeah, I told you. <laughs> did, did you uncover the, the, the narrative beneath the narrative? Mm hmm Okay. So by rewinding and stuff. Yes. Yeah. We, like I said, I played it for maybe two hours. I don't think I've, I'm too, um, too far into it. My other problem with it is that, and I can't remember exactly what the story of her story was, but I do know that there was enough of a story and it was like believable enough that I could like get into it and, sort of understand how I was going to figure this mystery out. Whereas I have no idea how I'm supposed to figure out how somebody disappeared by scrubbing through their unreleased movie clips. You know what I mean? Like what? How do I figure that out? Yeah. Apparently. And I, I've only read a few write-ups because not many people are talking about this game mm -hmm. right now. Um, but everyone says that there is a resolution. Mm -hmm. You can roll credits. And by all accounts, it's pretty amazing. Okay. What the resolution is. So I'm with you. I don't know how it resolves. I played it for many more hours than you. Mm -hmm. And I think just based on who we are, this game is way more up my alley than it probably <laughs> is up your alley. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I can, if if the you know, Staniland sections of the book <laughs> right. didn't speak to you, then there's definite portions of this game where you're, I can just imagine being like, I don't want to hear them talk about. Yeah. An, a, oh, do you watch the movie clips? Exactly. I fast forward through everything because that's the other thing too. I, since I'm, since I'm of the mindset of like, since I know I'm trying to figure out why this woman disappeared, 
Why do I need to watch a movie clip? See, here we go. So I'm either rewinding or fast forwarding to get yeah. the sections before or after the filming has started, right? <laughs> I don't want to care if they're talking about some well, dumbass exactly. fake movie. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's that going to tell me? I want to know why this woman disappeared. For me, part of the of the interest is also piecing together the movie narratives. There's three distinct oh movies. My gosh, no way! So I, I, Minsky. Also, th- then you're talking. You're talking about a game that's going to take you like 50 hours to finish. I'm on that journey. No, you're not. You're I'm not. On There's that no way. That's insanity. Before we move on, and I do want to talk more about this when I complete. I just want to mention something that you were talking about. And again, this is just the nature of where we're at. But I would say, in terms of immersion. I felt more initial immersion from watching The Wicker Man in college for the first time. Uh I remember driving us, sitting around, being like, let's go rent a movie. Driving to Hollywood Video, looking through all the DVDs and whatever, and Mm -hmm. finding The Wicker Man, renting it, bringing it home, popping it in the DVD player, whatever. Mm -hmm. And when it starts, you still have that idea of like, oh, this is like, a real film that someone just slid in here. This isn't produced or I can kind of give myself over to this old seventies, you know, kind of film that only I am now uncovering. Um, Like the ring, right? Mm -hmm. The ring, one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It ends with a blockbuster, (laughs) right? It ends with like, there's this physical thing. It's out there. It's at a blockbuster. You know what I mean? And even bridging that fictional real world divide, it just works for my brain. I love that's mm-hmm. another reason why I love the ring. I love the way that it ends. And in this, there is none of that. Because, like you said, there's no deeper like context than just it was on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. And I download it and I started watching this clip. Yeah. Isn't the guy that directed the ring? Gore Verbinski. Gore Verbinski, the guy that went on to direct like the Pirates movies mm-hmm. and Rango. Mm-hmm. You talk about another weird career, film career, right? Like David Gordon Green esque. Yeah, I mean Gore Verbinski now seems like he's finished a new film or it's coming out next year. Okay. He also did a film called A Cure for Wellness, which I really liked. Uh huh. So yeah, I mean, he's still doing, but he definitely had a weird. He got sucked into that kind of uh, Disney whirlpool where right he's just making like the Lone Ranger and the Pirates mm-hmm. movies, where you know I'll take every single one of his other movies, The Weatherman, even with Nicolas Cage. He I'll made t- the Weatherman. He made the Weatherman. He made the Weatherman. He made Mouse Hunt, which I would take over that. <laughs> with Nathan Lane? Yep. He made The Ring and then uh-huh. A Cure for Wellness. Like, yeah, I'll take all those over um, the the Pirates movies. Yeah. That's strange. Um, okay. I had a couple things. A couple small things. Uh, well, I'll start with this. So I've been reading a lot. If you consider audible reading. Oh, yeah, me too. Uh, so I, again, went down the path of like, I need to find a good audio book to listen to. I take the dogs on a walk every day. And so that's a good 40 minutes times two is what? An hour and 10 minutes? An hour and 20 minutes? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so about an hour and a half every day I have to listen. And I just listen to audiobooks on that, right? So <clears throat> I, my sort of wheelhouse for uh, books that keep me engaged during my walks are like, like mystery, true crime, pulpy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then like the horror books, like the um, Nick Cutter book, The Troop is kind of the gold standard for me. Right. And that, to me, has kind of a special place because I I remember you recommending it to me. And then at the time, I was taking Ace and walking around the athletic fields down off Damneck. But I was doing it at like 9, 10 o'clock at night. So I'm listening to the troop, and it's pitch black outside. (laughs) And I'm like just walking around this giant field, and it's completely freaky, right? Um, they don't do that anymore, but that's kind of, so that's kind of the sort of feeling that I'm always chasing. So anyways, I did a Google for another like great horror audiobooks, right? And I came across this book called The Hunger. Have you heard of it? Yeah, I read it. You read it? Yeah. Great. Um, so it's about, it's a fictional take on the Donner Party. How long ago did you read it? Uh, I read a few, two years ago, maybe. Okay. Yeah, it's not that old. I think it's from 2018. Um, how much do you know about the Donner Party? Oh, yeah, I was obsessed. Oh, really? Because the Donner Party was kind of like, when we were kids, they were kind of like, like a modern, like what a modern day meme would be almost, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like Donner Party was synonymous with, cannibalism exactly. that's basically all it meant mm-hmm. um but i never knew anything about them outside of that and this is not a good place to start <laughs> the hunger right? it's a fictional take <laughs> yeah. on the story yeah um and I, I so i didn't what did you think of the book yeah so i'm pulling it up here um what's interesting is i i rate everything like on audible too but um I kind of go in patterns. Mm-hmm. So like looking back at what I've read before, I can, I can kind of track my interest because I'll just do like five at a time and then try and like vary up. Um, but yeah, that's why like The Hunger Man, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Just for context, the book before it was Lovecraft Country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I read that, then I read The Hunger, and then I read uh, Nosferatu, okay. the, um, the book by Stephen King's son, oh, okay. Joe Hill, Yeah, and yeah, Nosferatu yeah. is like a license plate and- Oh, an that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that book. So yeah, The Hunger was, that was kind of my like pulpy mm-hmm. horror um, period. Yeah, by Alma Katsu. That's right. Yeah, no, I I remember liking it. I have to say that in researching it, I got it because for some reason it linked to the terror. Okay. The book The Terror in my mind, because again, yeah. the terror is like historical mm-hmm. fiction. Yeah. But I love the terror so much. And it definitely was not like the terror level for me. No, yeah. But yeah, I ended up oops, sorry. I ended up liking it yeah it was yeah it was perfectly fine uh i I ended up like i said i didn't know much about the donner party before i read it obviously the book does not 
tell you anything about the Donner Party. Um, there's before I move on to it led me to another to reading another book. Before before I move on, there's a character in the book who has a name, and I feel like there are certain names that like once they're used by a big enough property, you can't use that name anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I was trying to think about it. I think a good example, which is, I would say it was probably lesser than this example, would be like Jack Shepard, right? Once Lost came out, you can't do something else that's not Lost and name a character Jack <laughs> Shepard. You can't do it. Your character cannot be named Jack Shepard. Unless you're writing Lost, right? Right. I, I gave The Hunger three out of five. Yeah. I thought I liked it even more than that. No, I, I think that's that's pretty much yeah. where it's at. Because like I said last time, I give fours pretty readily. Yeah. So if I was three, I was like, oh. Was- I would probably go a little bit lower. I would probably say like two and a half, but. You can't do halves on Audible. Oh, you can't? Then I would go to two. I'm, I'm bumping down instead of up yeah, in okay. any of those scenarios. <laughs> I, so yeah, I think what was the problem that it wasn't as like pulpy so exactly Exactly. the problem i had with it is there's a weird amount of focus on characters sleeping with each other yeah and it has a great sort of zombie not zombie pre pre uh premise premise right like it's cannibals people eating each other blah 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 and i really like how she treated all that stuff there's just not a lot of it in the book. And a lot of the book is more about like fictionalizing these characters and their motivations, mm-hmm. which is strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it had more of that, more of the zombie, not zombie stuff in it, I would have liked it a lot more because yeah. the stuff that is in the book of it is really great. I thought <clears throat> anyways, there's a character in this book completely useless character not a real character, not a real person, because some of the people in the book are real people. Mm-hmm. This is a character who's mentioned in maybe one or two sentences who is not a main character. They're part of like some weird side plot that the author made up to kind of somewhat explain how this hunger disease gets introduced to the party years before or whatever. Their name is Bob Dylan. The Character's name is Jon Snow. Jon Snow. Right? And this is from like 2018. So this is like at the height or at the very end of Game of Thrones, right? Mm -hmm. You can't name a character Jon Snow. Snow. Just don't do it. It caught me so off guard. And it's such a little thing. It's like, why are you naming this character Jon Snow? It's not even like a generic name. Is it spelled? The, well, we wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know. I listened to it, like but J-O-N. it's just is so strange. That's so funny. anyways, I listened to, afterwards, I listened to a podcast and they um, recommended a um, real book. <laughs> 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 recommended a nonfiction book about the Donner Party uh-huh. called um, The Indifferent Stars Above. Have you read or heard of that? You know, I, I read one nonfiction account mm-hmm. of the Donner Party and I researched it so I could read like, I, I knew I didn't want to read like three. Yeah. 
So in, in that was back when I was doing physical books. So I do not know, but tell me more. Yeah, so that's what I followed it up with, the indifferent stars above. Um, so the podcast I listened to recommended it and part of their point was kind of, um, that the true story is so horrible on its own, right? That you can't really fictionalize it into a scarier story, which I, I totally get. And I agree with at the same time, I don't think that the hunger is like a useless exercise. I do still think it could have been a really good book if there was more of a focus on the horror stuff. Yes. Um, but the indifferent stars above I listened to, and it was, it is really good. Uh, and so I would recommend that. Um, but man, the stuff in it is just, it, what it has what it has actually um, convinced me to do is to listen to more sort of nonfiction stuff of that same uh, sort of track because he spends some time just talking about like he's there's a part of the book where he's ta- he's talking about at the beginning of the journey um, uh, one of the one of the people in the party is pregnant and she doesn't know it. And he then starts to sort of talk about like what women had to do like during that time, like when they were on their period or when they, or like how they knew they were pregnant. Like basically no woman knew she was pregnant until basically like the second trimester. Mm -hmm. Um, And then all of these like home remedies for, uh, essentially forcing an abortion before that time, or if they thought they might've been pregnant, it's just is like, man, you think about what people went through in the 1800s to just to live day to day was insane. Um, so yeah, I, I would uh, recommend that the indifferent stars above. I thought that was really good. Um, Oh, there was something else. So, I can't remember now. There was something about it specifically, though, that I wanted to talk about. Um, you want to try eating people? Oh, right. I wrote it down. Uh, yeah, I, what I did notice about the book is, like, you have these archetypes of people throughout the story. First of all, something I didn't know is that basically everybody in the party is rich. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, and it makes sense if you think about it, because in order to travel across the country, just like how it is now, you have to have money. You have, money. You have to be rich. And it's like, you know, the, uh, uh, the conservative talking point is always like, if you're poor and you live in a poor area, just move somewhere else. And it's like, no, you, part of the reason you're poor is because you can't move. You can't afford to move anywhere else. Um and it's just interesting how some of that gets represented, I guess, throughout history. But yeah, it's just a bunch of rich people who wanted to go to California to become more rich, to yeah. give gold, you know? And so that was really interesting. But then um, something that I thought was really funny that I made sure to write down is that, <clears throat> so the whole thing is a disaster, right? It gets to a point to where obviously there people are dying. People are people. I'm sorry. People haven't died yet, but they're starving and they know they're starving and they know that they're like 
have to do something drastic, right? <laughs> and in the book, and again, it's one of those things that we talked about with like the terror where it's like, I know the terror is a fictionalization of the thing, but it's based on reality or um, the devil in the white city mm-hmm. where it's like, you have these moments where it's like, how do you know this? You know what I mean? But there's a moment in here where he says, within hours of the party running out of food, uh, one of the guys, <laughs> one of the guys proposes that they are going to have to eat each other. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? No, we can't do that. And then eventually, I guess, they, he convinces them. And so they draw straws mm-hmm. to figure out who they're going to eat first. And he's the one that they decide <laughs> to eat first. <laughs> um but yeah, just as obviously a totally crazy story. And then there's also a guy. Um, one of the things that I did really appreciate about the hunger is that um, what she does something to where it's like, obviously there's like this supernatural threat to the group. That's the this, this, this scary part of the story. But there's like this Stephen King element where you then make, a person in the group, actually the scarier person who's mm-hmm. like causes the most immediate threat to the group. Um, and that person's name is Lewis Keysburg. And he's like an actual bad guy in the real story. Um, and in the real story, he like, he, a lot of people think he just murdered people like mm-hmm. towards the end just to stay alive. And then he like ends up being the guy that lives the longest. Like, he lives to be like 90 or something. Mm-hmm. It just is like, I don't know. It seems so cosmically unjust, you know? Another great fictional inspiration from the Donner Party is Ravenous. Exactly. The that was film. That's right. That was the other thing is the the thing that kind of the hunger is, is, the, is based on. But you also see in this book, in Different Stars Above, as like as soon as they get that meat, as soon as they start eating people, it very quickly becomes like, like they can't stop. Mm-hmm. It, and it very quickly, then you, then you start getting people plotting like, well, this person's going to die anyway, so we should just kill her and eat her. Right. And it's you like, well, she's got kids, so we can't do that to her. Well, but what about these other two people? They don't have kids. And it's like, who boy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, basically what ravenous is, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's it's like that mindset too is something that weirdly, you know, you, you mentioned like the conservative mindset is kind of based around is like I'm willing to consider the harsh realities right. of whatever. It's like in the end you're you're trying to intellectualize like genuine fear and survival. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. All these like conservatives too, like what do they make their money off of? Buy this slop bucket. Of, <laughs> you know, like, right. We're running out of corn. food. All the other countries are running out of food. Yeah. Buy this giant bucket. Of Buy this giant bucket. Slop. Right. Yeah. And you think that you've like intellectualized why well, I've, I've considered the hard truths where it's like, Everybody has, but they're not there yet, right? Like they they understand enough of the actual situation that yeah, they're the ones who are like, like that guy who said we need to eat people. Mm-hmm. In my mind, 
I love the fact that maybe he he's done that like 10 previous times. We're <laughs> right. just like he's walking it's... with his family and they <laughs> like have to huddle in a little like yeah. uh, outhouse right. for a few hours. He's like, we, we're going to have to eat somebody. In the <laughs> Tom, stop. Right. <laughs> no, we're just going to be here for an hour. And this is the one time where he's like, we're going to have to eat somebody. And like, oh, he's right. Yeah, he might have a point. He okay. might have a point finally. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you have been you you obsessing about this reality does not make it real or make you any more ready or prepared or qualified to deal with it or right. qualified to deal mm-hmm. with it in the end when everyone's pushed to survival then yeah everyone's going to act that way yeah but you can't be pushing people towards that now like you know yeah look around the the society today and what what are they trying to get themselves worked up about crt mm-hmm. and now what like lgbtq people are teaching your kids it's like yeah we don't have to start eating people yet i know you guys are obsessed with hey i'm just the one considering it (laughs) i'm just the one out here saying i'm just throwing it out there we've got to have options we gotta have options we gotta be ready to kill each other (laughs) right yeah um and to that point this is another note i wrote down that's completely unrelated but i wrote it down a couple weeks ago because i wanted to make a point Along those same lines of these sort of armchair experts, this always comes up whenever Christopher Christopher McCandless is brought up. Mm -hmm. As soon as his name is brought up, you always get people who are saying, well, that kid had no idea what he was doing, blah, blah, blah. You can't uh, take the bush for, for granted or whatever. You can't go in there naive, blah, blah, blah. And we've been watching alone, right? The people on alone are these people who are saying you can't, Take this for granted. You have to know what you're doing. Da, 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 da. I sent you a video. One of these guys were on the show for like five days and he quit because he thought he was having a heart attack, but he was just really hungry. The, and these people like that, that is these people. They're the experts. They're going out there prepared. They're going out there and know what they're knowing, what they're getting into. The average stay on a loan is between like 70 and 75 days. There's like a mystical challenge to reach a hundred days. I'm not 100% sure what the deal with it is. Cause Julie has been watching. It. I haven't paid that much attention, but there's only been one guy to reach a hundred days. And that guy was a complete psychopath. Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher McCandless lived in the woods for 113 days. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think he knew what he was doing, right? Yeah. He just kind of got some bad luck. Um, yeah, that's along those same lines. Yeah. Something else, the last thing I'll say about the book that really sort of struck struck at home for me, or that I, just something I didn't consider, is that there was a, a couple of people who just stopped living. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't necessarily starve to death and they didn't necessarily freeze to death. Like there's a guy, you know, just living. They're just sort of living at the woods. At, at one point they're living in the woods. They've, they've built cabins and stuff and they've sent a party out to like go get more resources and to reach the destination and bring more people. One of the guys who's staying back at the camp, he's got a family, you know, so they're chopping wood. He's doing whatever. And he just comes to dinner one night and sits down at the table and just 
dies and just doesn't get up. Just sits down, puts his head in his hands, and then he's just dead. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it just is is crazy that you can work yourself to that sort of state. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And thinking about it, I feel like that's probably what I would do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like up until that point, that guy's probably not thinking. I mean, maybe he is, but I would imagine sitting down there and just being like, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna sit down." And, rec- and and recollect myself, and then I'm just dead. <laughs> and it's like, oh no, I was, I should have done that a little bit earlier. <laughs> um, yeah, but so I really liked it. In different stars above. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the, you know, the kind of false narrative out there of like, what happened to the masculine men, whatever. Right. It's like, yeah, shut up. This, this <laughs> modern society has protected and sheltered you as well buddy yeah (laughs) you know okay and then i just have a little uh slice of life thing right do you have anything else um you know i did and then i come in here and it's all gone so i'm not even going to try to remember okay we'll we'll talk about it next week if you can remember so in a couple weeks julia and i are going up to minnesota Mm mm-hmm so she can visit her work and visit like her coworkers because she works remote companies based out of Minnesota. Girls are staying here. Just me and her are going up. Okay. She has a team building event mm-hmm. where her and her team and her boss are going to a baseball game. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just her, mm-hmm. just her coworkers, just her boss. Mm-hmm. Do I go to that team building event? A hundred percent no. Right? That's what I'm saying. Not even. No other question. significant others are going. It's not just the employees. But Julia's thing is like, we're flying up there. It's going to be weird if you don't go because then you flew up here and then you're just sitting in the hotel room. But it's like, I don't want to, I'm going to go there and I'm going to like say hi to everybody. And then it's going to be three hours of you talking to your coworkers and me just sit like sitting in a corner watching a minor league baseball game. <laughs> no, yeah. That, that's where you say like, I'm going to go visit the MinMax studio. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, I'll find something to do. I won't sit in the hotel room, but I've actually been to, is it Minneapolis? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> it's actually really Nice yeah, it's a huge city. Yeah, I'm sure I'll find something to do. What? What? When are you going up? Um, the 25th to the 28th of so September. It's only a couple of days. Yes. Oh, okay. Sunday so to be Wednesday. Warm. I was wondering if it would be like yeah, cold. No. Mm-mm. So yeah, that was something, and it had me sort of thinking like, do I go to this thing? But my gut reaction is like, no. There's no. no way in hell I'm going to that. No. I, it's going to be so weird. And I was like, if other significant others are going to be there, then sure, I'll go. Right. But if I'm the only, no way. It sounds like it's just a thing for your, like, your team to do. 100%. Okay. One just, quick slice of life thing. Sure. Um, so I kind of oversee a freshman class. Mm-hmm. And... um first day I always do like a little icebreaker because the whole point of this class is to get the students to like connect with each other 
So I personally hate icebreakers. Yeah. And like, that's why I love telling them, I'm like, I got good news and bad news. Good news is I hate icebreakers. <laughs> bad news is we have to do one yeah. because this class <laughs> is set up. Yeah. So the icebreaker that I've settled on that's been pretty successful is um a version of categories. Okay. Where, you know, categories, you pick a letter and a topic, and then people or teams have to think up, you know, unique words that start with that letter. Okay. That relate to the topic. Mm-hmm. And for every unique word that you guess, you get a point. But if another team has guessed the same word, you don't get a point. Right. So I throw up, and and this one is more for like marine biology interested students. So I'll do a range of like college skills stuff, like roommate, letter is C. Mm. Bad example, because I always have to be careful. You don't Uh, want to set them up. You don't want to give them a horrible word and then my boss will walk by right <laughs> yelling it out but anyway. right. so um yeah so two funny things happened i i actually like this like this group um one is so i put up like sea turtles easy and i was like j mm-hmm. i'll give him a hard letter mm-hmm. it's like one of the first rounds and i'm like okay team one after a minute like What's a unique word do you think no one else got? Uh-huh. And they just look at me, they're like, jaw. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell them, I'm like, you can guess any word, but you have to convince me. Right. So I was like, okay, jaw. Right. And they <laughs> walk me through it. <laughs> right. And then they, they just look at me again and like all of them just go, jaw. <laughs> it's like, it has a jaw. Uh-huh. They're like, Shrug, like they're so uncommitted yeah. to their own answer. No one else had jaw, surprisingly, mm-hmm. and I gave them half a point. Right. <laughs> so later on in a round, and that set up like a bad precedent where then every round, at least one oh, team yeah. just had a generic word that didn't really relate. Right. But you can't debunk it, right? But you can't it's debunk so generic. it. It's so yeah. generic. <laughs> I'm saving one for, for the end, but... After doing like a few fun ones, I was like, okay, I'm going to bring the mood down. But you're all are interested in marine biology, so we got to deal with it. Climate change, letter is M. Uh-huh. And that team one again goes, I see someone go, mid. <laughs> mid? <laughs> what? What do you think of climate change? Uh, climate change is mid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's a great, that's a great answer. And then... The team behind them uh, said, movement. <laughs> I was like, like graphs are moving or, uh-huh. mo-, and they just go, movement. <laughs> Does it have to, it can only be one word. Yeah, okay. one word. Although one of them gave two, and it's like, yeah, I gave this team two points because yeah. they had two words and it was good. Yeah. I was See, like, My See? first thought was mass extinction, right? You and it's two your, words. They're not both M, but it's like, it's good enough. It's, it's like, you get enough. a point, right? The, my my squad of kids would have just said mass. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 they completely defeated me. It, the icebreaker blew up in my face yeah. at the end. I was just yeah. like, 
I gotta be careful of this. Yeah. But but I really loved mid. I really love climate change's <laughs> mid. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> All right. So do you plan on beating or finishing 100%. immortality by next week? Quick question for you. Yeah. You're driving down a narrow residential street. Uh-huh. There is a car parked in the street. Uh-huh. And it's in your lane. Like on the side of the road? Yes. Uh-huh. There's a car coming towards you. Uh-huh. You are both going to be passing it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Do you stop and let them through? I always stop. Because I don't know what the other person's going to do. So I just always stop. So even if it was on their side, you would stop? Yeah, probably. I mean, I guess if it was like... Yeah, if it was just one car and the rest of the lane's completely open, I would probably expect them to stop. There's a chance <clears throat> that you could have heard this. It was literally right when I hung up the phone with you. Uh-huh. Because I called you the other day, just watched Frownland, <laughs> a bad mood. In a dark place. I was in a very dark place uh-huh. and I was driving. Yeah. And you literally, I was like, okay, see you later. And I'm passing, I see this setup. I see the truck, I see a car coming towards me, and I see my little window. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was unconscious. Listen, I normally stop. I didn't stop this time. I don't know if that was a purposeful, I'm in a bad mood, mm-hmm. I'm just going, or if I just, I don't know, I wasn't thinking. Ultimately, I feel bad. Uh-huh. But the person honked at me. <laughs> really? Like they, The they, car was on their side? No, the car was on my side. Oh, okay. And so I just went, I was close. (laughs) Yeah. And we didn't hit, but they honked at me. If it was on my side, I would have stopped 100%. See, yeah. Ultimately, I know that that's the right answer. Yeah. And there was a second within me where I was like, yeah, screw you. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's a million of those things a day where it's like, yeah, you have a split second to react. You pick the wrong thing, and it ends up being like a minor inconvenience to the other person, right? Your your split second wrong de- wrong decision, mm-hmm. but you still afterwards you're just like, oh, I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But my approach to driving is, I know what I'm going to do. But I, don't I don't know, know what, what anybody else is going to do. Yeah. So that's how I approach it. Yeah. Okay. So immortality. You think you're going to finish that by next week? A hundred percent. I'm okay. I'm I'm into it. And I really want to uncover the story. Yeah. But I'm also into each film. Like I'm I'm into <laughs> like the storyline. Tell of you them. the first thing exactly. about what any of those movies exactly. are about. <laughs> okay, I'll play a little bit more. Have you <clears throat> I started reading um Yeah, I can see you got a little book. Yeah, I haven't started this yet. Oh. I did start um You Should Have Left. I started it last night. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I'll probably finish that. It's super short. Yeah, right? it's like an hour. So um the the one thing that I oh one thing that r- relates back to the Dracula thing real quick. I picked up a new book. I'm trying to so I'm getting book two of the factory series mm-hmm. on Saturday. Okay. And I'm trying to get through a book in between then. Right. <laughs> Not five books, just uh-huh, uh-huh. just one. Well, this is the other thing I'll say too: is you have to stop giving me things to read, because I'm reading this now. 
I'm slowly still working my way through white dialogues. I haven't made any progress on Banford's Folly. <laughs> I've got three other audiobooks that I'm waiting to start. Did you um, make it through the Cujo story? Yeah, I read Cujo and then I read the one after that. The Cujo is the one that I was very interested. What do you think of the Cujo story? Uh, I mean, I feel like with that type of story, it has to be funnier. You know what I mean? Yeah. It has yeah. to at least have some humor to it. Yeah. I mean, I guess there is some, but for There's the most no part. Ivra Glass putting himself in a chest. Yeah, or it's just these two guys. I love the way, I did like, I liked the format of it. Okay. And I liked the experiment itself. Okay. I just yeah. felt like in, in order for me to actually have liked the story, there needed to be more, more humor. humor or more personality, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. It's it's hard to describe. I didn't want to be like slapping my knee laughing or whatever, but it's basically a, a, a big, long story about a kid who was afraid of dogs. If you like the format, then I, I think you'll like you know the rest of the book but i agree with you i actually think that that's a really good critique is it again i i do think the um this american life story is funny i think it's, yeah it's legitimately funny but yeah his other stories lack that kind of humor yeah um okay all i wanted to say was the book is called my bones my flute uh-huh and this is not necessarily me recommending it to you uh-huh but it the full story is like or titles, my bones, my flute, a ghost story in the classic sense, or classic style, okay. classic style, and it's uh it's someone's journal. Oh okay, so I'm super into it. Yeah, I well, love I, I love that. I realize I love that format. Yeah, along those same lines. So you haven't started. You should have left yet. No, I actually, that was one that I was going to pick up. Yeah. But I was more saying like, oh, I found this. I wasn't saying, let's get it. But now that you got it, I will get it. Yeah, it. it I might have to restart it. Because I read the first chapter and it's, it's like doing some like jumping back and forth between stuff and even the first chapter. And thinking about it now, I have no idea what the first chapter was about. I also read it like last night as I got in bed. I was like, all right, let me knock one of these chapters out real quick. And uh, I don't remember anything about it. Okay. So I'll probably start over. Awesome. All right. All right.